Welcome back to the Back of the Gap podcast. Uh, I and Josh here are your, your host, and we are joined today by our guest, Caleb. Hi, it's me. Wow, it's <laughs> him. <laughs> yep, it's him. <laughs> um, and today we're, we're here to talk about uh, an episode that we, we want to handle with some tact, um, and that is Christian tribalism. Um, and, you know, kind of what we're getting at here is like, we, we want to discuss, you know, why is it that Christians uh, seem to isolate themselves in groups? Um, is that positive or negative for the church? Um, and how should we respond to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what, what do we kind of think here, right? Like, Caleb, what would you say Christian tribalism is? Like, how does it present itself? Well, I think there's an instinct in, I mean, not just Christians, but in a lot of people to stick what's comfortable to them or what's familiar. Um, so that might be, you know, political agreements or uh, agreements on how to interpret scripture, how to think about certain theological issues, um, but even just to simpler things like what hobbies do you have? Um, do you like, I mean, within those hobbies, do you like specific things within that hobby? Like, um, I like Nintendo games, and so a lot of my friends tend to like Nintendo games because it's easy for us to talk about it and bond with each other over that. Um, but where that danger comes in is when we include a lot of arrogance into that mixture and say, oh, well, my tastes, my opinions are the best or mine are the only correct ones to have, right? Um, And for stuff like, you know, sports teams, like that's kind of just in good fun. Like I'm a Chiefs fan and so whenever like a a Cowboys fan, because I'm from, I live in Texas, so I interact with a lot of Cowboys fans. Whenever they get really arrogant, it's kind of funny to dog on them. But like it's all in good fun um, because objectively the Chiefs are the better team right now. Probably, maybe, probably not. But Uh, In any case, where it gets dangerous is when you start to go to questions that matter. You know, like, who is God? If there is a God, what's he like? You know, um, are there scriptures that are inspired? If so, what are they? And even within common categories like Christianity, it's like, okay, well, should women be pastors? Um, Does God predestine specific people to be saved? Uh, And so when you try to other people and demonize people and say, oh, those people over there, they're heretics and they're wrong. Um, In some cases, that might be true, um, but in some cases, it just doesn't really matter, and we try and make mountains out of molehills in a lot of ways. Yeah. Josh, what about for you? I mean, how do you kind of wrestle with this topic? Uh, I haven't had just a whole lot of experience with it, honestly, but just seeing, like, how divisive it can be and how exclusionary it makes a lot of people be, it it tends to break down a lot more than it builds up. Because, like you said, everybody has their own thoughts and feelings on how scripture, how they think about Scripture, how they think about certain things. But, um, you know, Scripture de- describes um, the followers of Christ as a body, being united together with one another and actively trying to divide that up into different pieces and saying that one part of the body doesn't matter, I don't think is the way that it's, it's supposed to be. And that's, that's how Scripture does it says it's not supposed to be um we're we're allowed to have different thoughts different opinions but it's it just all falls apart whenever you try to exclude other people from it and it it gets that way sometimes i've gotten that way with uh friends of mine before we've had discussions on the calvinism versus arminianism debate that you Mm -hmm. mentioned and it it sometimes it'd get real 
we'd get really into it, but we've we've had to learn across time how to approach those discussions in a very respectful and meaningful way. Because um, you can very you can approach those in a very disrespectful way and disrespect someone and just completely ruin a friendship over something that ultimately doesn't affect your life so much as you might think it does or affect other people's lives so much as you might think it does. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunities that get missed in just reaching out to people because I feel like a lot of churches could work together on certain things if they would get over um, just diff- different theologies that they might have. A lot of churches could cooperate on a lot of ministry opportunities and we'd be able to do so much more as a body of believers if mm. it wasn't so separated and so divided because yeah. there, there's so there's so much opportunity to do stuff just right even in, in your own town, like even in the town that we live in. Um, there's so many places that we could go, so many things that we could do. And a lot of our churches are united together in doing that. A lot of, um, a lot of us get together and do st- stuff like that sometimes, but there's still so much division amongst different churches that it, it just takes away so many opportunities to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, that's absolutely something that we see, you know, I mean, there are churches that, you know, you could take two churches that both agree that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, yep. and is fully human and fully God. But because of some secondary issue, these two churches won't even do a service project together. For sure. Mm-hmm. There was one church around here that had a major split because they couldn't decide what color the carpet should be. Like, it get people around here take it real ser- And I shouldn't say around here, but people in general take, like, even small things like that. That's just a really small example of... People get really, really into, like, I'm right. This is the way that things should be because I say so. Right. Well, what also complicates things is some issues just are important. I mean, for sure. like, the carpet is one thing, but, like, when you're going into, like, practical things, like um, speaking in tongues, like, it's a pretty divisive issue among some Christian circles, but it does kind of affect the way that people worship. Like, if speaking in tongues is a thing, how do you do it? Uh, if you should do it, should everyone do it? Is it re- a requirement for salvation? Like those kinds of questions are important for uh, practical worship and sometimes just the daily prayer life of a Christian. Um, and that's where I feel like some people may feel justified in making the mountains out of the molehills like I talked about because it is an important issue. It just may not be something that should divide us so severely. For sure. Um, right. I, I think that's absolutely the case. Um and you know, it, you, we can take the the example of uh, you know doing a service project together. That's something where you know people are not necessarily engaging in worship. Mm. Um, you know, you're hopefully doing it for you know an intentional purpose. You know, to spread Christ. Um, but in a situation like that, most of these doctrines that are important, please don't misunderstand. Um, but they're not more important than being unified in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that uh, as Christians, we have to work a lot on discernment of what issues are the big ones, mm-hmm. um, right? Because, you know, take a church, split it in something over the carpet, right? You can have 20 different Southern Baptist churches in a small town. It's like, what's happening here, yeah. right? And there's, like, the world is chaotic. Like, even somebody who's relatively well off in terms of their circumstances, their finances, like their uh, schedule during the week is chaotic. Work can be chaotic. And so there's that 
craving inside of us to make things simple, like to keep that chaos controlled. And so whenever we enter into something that's important and very personal as our spiritual lives, we want to have that under control as well. And so whether it's um, like a spiritual authority telling us like this is the way that Christianity is, this is the only right way, and if you're not within these bounds and you are uh, a heretic, you're going to hell, that kind of language. Or it could just be that you may not necessarily be arrogant, but you just want to have things like be simple, yeah. you know, like just to have, be like, okay, this is correct, this is wrong, right? And there's not, that's not to say anything against like black and white kind of uh, idealism, you know, like I'm not trying to advocate that, you know, everything is correct. I'm not a moral relativist, but there is a sense in which there should be some nuance and some gray area saying like, okay, there is a correct answer and an incorrect answer on this. But despite that, like sometimes we can just work together despite our disagreements on that right. and just still just be, you know, just generally kind and respectful towards people that we disagree with. Like we don't have to uh, dehumanize other people and treat them as anything less than, you know, someone that God created and God loves and someone that's capable of bearing his name to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like in, in that example that I brought up earlier um, that I was talking about, my friend who uh, we, we got into the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, we, we're super close despite um, having those disagreements. And because of us being able to work out our discussions in a way that's more respectful and respect each other's opinions on it, we'll, we'll just get together and read scripture together. We'll pray for each other, talk mm-hmm. about our struggles. He, he, he actually called me up the other day like it was some scripture i think it was in first peter that he talked about he just called me up and the first thing he says was hey what you know about that stone that the that cornerstone that the builders rejected and we just spent like three (laughs) hours talking about that passage of scripture over the phone like it was awesome Mm -hmm. yeah And and i think that something um something that's awesome about you know being able to be close with people that we disagree with is those conversations change from being accusatory and um just generally negative and arguments, they're, they're not a debate, it's an argument, yeah. right? Um, all of a sudden those conversations change into learning more from each other, Absolutely. right? And being okay having these disagreements um, on issues of relative importance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but still being able to recognize this is secondary to salvation, we're still brothers in Christ, we're still gonna love each other and talk to each other about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the next question would be, like, how do we, as Christians, respond to those around us that, that disagree, uh, our brothers? How do we um, kind of make that start to, to move away from tribalism and, and, and to be united? Well, I would say, for one thing, you need to keep your own heart in check, because I think sometimes we tend to focus yeah. on, like, what do we do with this specific group of people or this idea like how do we respond to muslims or how do we interact with jehovah's witnesses or even just inter-tribal debates like egalitarians complementarians, stuff like that um but really the focus should be on what what's your posture towards a conversation you know like are you wanting to treat a person or a group as a project like are you wanting to simply just change their mind or are you wanting to just genuinely 
interact with them and love them the way that Christ did. I mean, because Christ interacted with tons of people that he disagreed with, um, whether that was, you know, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, uh, any number of Jewish rabbis and scribes, but also just general townspeople, uh, people that were sick, um, tax collectors, Roman soldiers and officials. Um, and in all of those cases, uh, he wasn't, well, he, he, he knew that he was correct, um, and he was trying to tell them the truth, but he was also just genuinely interested in them as people. Like, he ate with them, he talked with them, he walked with them, uh, he probably laughed and told jokes with them, right? Caught up with just their daily lives, you know? Just based off what we see in the Gospels and how the disciples acted afterwards in Acts and um, how they're described in the epistles. Um, and so our first instinct should be, like, how do I see other people? Do I see them as an argument to be won, or do I see them as people that I can, like, love for the sake of loving, you know, be kind to them for the sake of being kind, because that's the right thing to do. Like, we can argue about specific things that are right to think, and again, I'm not devaluing the importance of correct doctrine or correct thinking, but that should be included with the proper perspective of loving people and serving people, meeting those needs above just trying to establish like a rigid dogma. For sure. And amongst like tribalism amongst Christians, I'd say <clears throat> also just being open to the possibility that you're wrong about something. Oh yeah. And not just being dead set in the thought that I'm right about everything all the time because I formed this opinion. Mm -hmm. Being open to the idea of not just going into something and being like, I'm going to pro prove this person wrong because that's what I need to do. But also just hearing out what they have to say because you can be wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a Christian, then you must believe that you're a flawed human being and can't have perfect theology all the time. Mm -hmm. So just being open to different ideas, different ways of thinking, and being open to be able to improve your own way of thinking from somebody else's experience and from somebody else's knowledge, I think is super important. Yeah. Caleb, I'm glad you brought up, you know, looking at the life of Jesus. Um, you know, one of my favorite verses, I want to say it's John 1.17, um, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, right? And um, I find it interesting that there's a distinction between the law and the truth, um, and that, you know, Jesus completes the law by bringing grace and truth. Uh, I, I know for myself, it is very easy to fall into the mindset of, I want to be correct, I want to be right. Um, and you know, we look at the Pharisees, and you're like, oh, the Pharisees, they're obviously in the wrong, right? How easily are we falling into that? Mm -hmm. Because we want to be correct. We want everything to fall into line. Um, and with Jesus, you know, having to approach other people with grace first, and then truth, um, it's difficult, but it's, it's so much more, um, it's just better, Right? It's how, you know, we're able to have these relationships with other people. Um, it's how we're able to admit to ourselves when we are wrong, right? Um, because otherwise, we're just going to sit um, and, you know, yell at a brick wall that we're right. No one's listening to us, right? Yeah. right. Um, I, you think know. I think, too, it's as weird as it is to say... Um, a lot of us tend to take for granted how big and how complicated the world is. Um, and what I mean by that is specifically when it comes to reading Scripture and interpreting Scripture, 
no one comes into scripture and reads it completely objectively. Like we all have our own cultural experiences and cultural blinders that affect the way that we read scripture. Like uh, I'm in seminary, full disclosure, and I was in my first semester uh, back in Texas, and in one of my scriptures classes, we read an article because we were studying through the book of Joshua at the time. And for the uninitiated, Joshua is all about the conquest of Canaan and how Israel comes into the land and uh, claims the land for their own, often through very violent means. It's a very loaded book, very big subject that we're not going to get into right now. Um, But the point is, the article that I was reading was about how Native Americans read through that book. Because, you know, Native Americans uh, in American history have been dealt a pretty raw deal. Um, very subjugated to a lot of trickery and violent conquest. And again, it's a big thing that we're not going to get into completely right now. Um, but it was very interesting to see how they read it and how they primarily identified with the Canaanites mm. in the story rather than the Israelites. And that was something that had never even you know crossed my mind as a, like a white American person that's generally been well off in his life, like I'd always been taught like Israel is the hero and the Canaanites are the villains and this is the heroic moment when they claim the land, but to some other people, that may not be the story at all. That might be something that they may not even thought of in a million years, kind of like how I didn't think about how Native Americans would interpret that, or at least some Native Americans would. Um, And so we have to recognize that even... uh, even we have cultural blinders that affect the way that we read scripture, um, but a lot of people just don't see that, um, and I don't think all of it is malicious. I just think that it's very easy to forget that we're not the standard, <laughs> and like, like the way that a person in rural Mississippi is going to read the book of Galatians is going to be different than how a person in an African tribe or in the uh, suburbs of London is going to read. It just is, right? Like, we all come from different experiences, and the less we view ourselves as, like, the end-all, be-all standard, like, we're the template for how we're to read Scripture, the more I think we'll understand, oh, like, maybe there is more to learn from other people. Maybe there's a puzzle piece that I'm missing. Maybe there's a different way to understand this that actually makes a lot more sense and fits the way that we view other doctrines and other ideas yeah i think that's an incredibly important point i mean obviously we can't speak to someone who received that letter two thousand years ago right Mm -hmm. that culture um is just not around in the same way it was at the time Mm -hmm. and so for us um i know for myself you know growing up in uh the bible belt if you want to call it um this place of cultural Christianity, there's so much that I was taught um, throughout my childhood that I just equivocated to something that, you know, was found from Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a moral teaching that I received from different places. Clearly, it's from the Bible, right? And then today, I'm like, that was just made up somewhere, somehow. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's not in the Bible at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's a very scary thing to then not study scripture correctly, have all these ideas, and then yell at someone who does not agree with that idea when that idea is not presented in scripture at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we see a lot, um, especially in places with heavy um, cultural Christianity um, where different ideas are inserted. Um, 
And of course, that would lead to, you know, stuff like a church split or um, a denomination split, um, as we've seen across time. Yeah. I guess to just further the answer to the original question, how do we kind of respond and kind of battle against Christian tribalism? I think a lot of it is on the shoulders of churches Mm -hmm. to really build connections with other churches Um, because that's also something that kind of um, places blinders on us is when we stick to just one church and we tend to just stick with that group and not branch out and not that that's a bad thing because I feel like you know you only have so much time and and you know God calls you to specific places and to specific people at specific times Mm -hmm. so there's nothing wrong with being a member of a church and you know like I don't think it's healthy to just shop around a bunch of churches every other week Uh, but the point is like I think church staff um, needs to do a better job of building connections with other churches Um, like maybe in youth ministry having excuse me like a discipleship now weekend and inviting like maybe smaller churches to be a part of it like I know that uh, certain churches have different you know resource capabilities and time restraints so don't feel like you have to just invite everybody to the picnic, so to speak, but build those connections. And um, for service projects within your community, whether that's a big city or whether that's a small rural town, like um, build connections with other churches in other denominations. Like you may not be able to agree on everything. Like I doubt a Southern Baptist church uh, and in like a very liberal Episcopal church would agree on, you know, how to treat homosexuality and gay marriage. But there is some common ground that you can work on. Uh, Maybe establish some sort of organization for literacy and build kids' ability to read and uh, prevent them from encountering problems later on. Or establish um, some sort of food drive or homelessness or homeless shelter. You know, things that we can all agree are important to work on as Christians. And through the interacting with other churches, conversations can be had. Like, you can talk about, oh, well, how long have you been at your church? Um, What exactly do y'all do? Like, how do y'all worship? Um, And you kind of have to go in with the disclaimer of, like, okay, we're going to be interacting with people that we don't don't really know. um, And don't emphasize the fact that you disagree with them. Like, emphasize the fact that there are common grounds. But be aware that some things that... The other people do are going to be weird to us, and some things that we do are going to be weird to them, and that's just the case because we come from different experiences and different backgrounds, um, but be gracious to one another and emphasize, like, hey, we're here for a common purpose. We're here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet people's needs and show them that there is a God who loves them and cares for them because at the end of the day, like, that is our common ground. That's mm-hmm. what we agree on, um, and I feel like I want to say a lot of pastors and church staff want to do that, but maybe there's a certain amount of fear uh, of backlash from the con- from some members of the congregation uh, where, you know, they might get in a kerfuffle and then you lose on, you know, tithing money and different resources. Some people may be, like, very effective in their spiritual gifts, and if they leave, then that'll cause trouble for the church. Um, but I think that in this case, since... Western Christianity, particularly American Christianity, is so fractured. We need to prioritize building those relationships back and trying to establish, like, hey, like, American evangelicalism is a hot mess right now, um, but we want people to know that, like, God exists, he loves you, and we're going to be the hands and feet of that God and show you how great and awesome his message of deliverance truly is. For sure. All right. And, and I think, you know, 
to that point of there being a certain fear um, of building those bridges, uh, I think the longer we wait, um, the more the walls go up, right? Absolutely. The longer we keep ourselves isolated, the harder it is to then connect back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there, there, there's no reason to wait. There, there are absolutely going to be problems. There are absolutely going to be people that leave, people that change churches. Um, hence why we had this whole problem in the first place, right? <laughs> um, but starting to take those steps to having a more united body, mm. um, it's got to happen. Yeah. The way things stand, I mean... This is not sustainable, mm-hmm. and that's that's something I've been super proud of the the student ministries that are local to around here that have been doing really really well. Uh, like fall retreat every year, we usually have like I want to say six to eight different churches that are local around here that get together. We have hundreds of students that come together and have just fall retreat together. Yeah, they do devotionals together, read scripture together, worship together, and that is super cool to me because. Starting that with students means that it's going to grow into the full churches down the road. Yep, right. And it's it's really, really cool to be able to see, like, even though different students come from different churches that may have different practices or different beliefs, that they're all friends together, they all hang out together, and it's that's super encouraging to me. And it's something I've been really proud of, seeing that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a powerful tool, you know, for students. Um you know, when we were students, you know, you'd show up to a fall retreat and be like, I know this person from school. I've never talked to him, don't know him a lick. We now have this connection. I had no idea that, you know, we were brothers in Christ. Um, and what, what an encouragement that is to a student who is, you know, petrified to share their faith in school, knowing yeah. that I have these people around me um, that are going to support me that I had no idea about. Yeah, it's such mm-hmm. an overwhelming environment this school is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to apply for the rest of the church as well, right? If we're unified, if we're seeing each other, um, people in the workplace are going to say, oh, hey, this person, oh, they go to this church. We work together on this thing. Um, and as we are, you know, more united, we, we see each other more, we're able to encourage each other more. Um, you know, our Christian faith is going to spread out beyond just the Sunday experience, right? For mm-hmm. sure. Um, which it should. Exactly. Uh, it's another problem, and, you know, I think that these problems are intertwined in a certain way. Um, because we isolate ourselves to just our church group, um, we isolate ourselves just to that church time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that breaking down those barriers uh, is going to be extremely powerful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you even see that in the, the early church, too, in Acts. It, it says they would meet together daily, and they would break bread together, have meals together. It was like a community that they lived together. It wasn't just like a Sunday morning meeting that they went to. It was their life was together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's what also complicates things. I keep mentioning that complicated word, but it just is. Yeah. Um, like it's not just about the fact that, you know, there are several different denominations um, and people want to just be where they want to be, which that's part of it. And every, And I still stand by everything that I've said over the past few minutes. Um, but there's also just a lot of history that people don't know, like how certain denominations are related. Um, And it just takes a lot of time to tell people about that. And half, like, not half, that may be overstating it, but just some pastors don't even know. Like some of them aren't, like, trained to know 
church history and they, they don't know how to navigate. Like maybe they want to, but they just don't know how. And so they feel overwhelmed trying to make the connections and educate people. And half the time people don't even care. Like people don't care to know like the history of the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Episcopalians, you know, because that, that's complicated. That's learning, yeah. right? We don't want to learn new stuff. Like, come on, are you kidding me? Um, but it, like it, it involves so more than just simply making connections. There's also an educational aspect to it that just requires a lot. And I mean, I, I don't claim to know how to fix that. I mean, I mean, I have a heart for teaching and that's why I'm going to seminary just so I can figure out how to incorporate a lot more of this into you know worship services and, and church life um, midweek Sunday morning you know stuff like that but some something's got to give in terms of broadening the scope of how we view about Christianity of how we view Christianity and just Christian life in general yeah no that's a that's a really good point that I didn't think to bring up you know if we're able to better know church history why we have some of these splits that we do, um, we're going to better understand how to mend those relationships, mm -hmm. right? Um, and even understand certain relationships that, um, or, or sorry, certain denominations that are truly not so far apart as they may seem, right? Mm -hmm. um, no, that's a great point. Um, but yeah, I think that um, this is a topic that, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to wrestle with because it is such a big scale issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you just have to start where you are. Start with the small things, right? Yep. Just um, do what you can. Yeah. It is, um, it's going to be a long process. Um, I'm not sure if the church will ever be, you know, united once again. Uh, definitely not in the way that it was in the early church, uh, if I had to guess. But um, it's absolutely something that we should strive toward. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and there is an expectation we will be perfectly united one day whenever we we return to Christ. It's, right, it's going right. to happen. So mm -hmm. we can look forward to it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Until then, it'll happen one way or another. So yeah. not to, not to excuse our work. There's still a lot of work that no, we need to do. But sure. absolutely. But I, I think that um, I think that the church ought be united when Christ returns rather than him having to unite us when he returns, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I don't know all of the eschatology or theology to explain if that's going to happen one way or the other. Um, I haven't taken that class yet. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know that um, we are a more effective body if we are united, yep. right? Absolutely. Um, and until Christ does return, you know, we have to work to, you know, grow the body, um, both in size, um, and in knowledge and wisdom. Um, and so, you know, any step that we can take is a good step. Uh, mm -hmm. in closing, do we have any closing thoughts here? I'll just emphasize the short sentence that I said earlier, just do what you can. Like if there are, uh, coworkers that you have, uh, that maybe go to a different church, ask them about it. Like it can be as simple as just starting conversations with them and getting to know them. And you don't have to be you know, best friends with any of them, but it is important to you know, genuinely care about people. And again, not treat people as mere projects, but view them as you know, souls that are unique and that are to be, that are to be appreciated and loved. Um, and so just make those connections with the people you know 
Um, if there's something that God has placed on your heart, like maybe a ministry opportunity or um, you know some sort of class or something that you know about, like maybe you do know about church history, you've read a lot of things, maybe you've been formally educated theologically, um, just find an avenue at your church to share with people that want to know about it. Um, just find where your strengths lie, find where you feel a, a uh, pressing of the Holy Spirit on your life and obey. Like, just seek after that, see what doors God opens. And, I mean, even when you just do little things, those matter ultimately in the in the scope of the kingdom of God. Right. And I'd, I'd just say again, just to stay open-minded, keep a clear mind about the fact that you can be wrong about things and that you don't have, you don't, you don't even have to be right about everything. Right, yeah. Um, if, and if you think you are, then there's a problem there. You need to repent. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, just being open and willing to the fact that other people have different experiences, different opinions, mm-hmm. and different viewpoints of Scripture. God reveals different things to different people. That's why, you know, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And that's, that's why, because they share the things that they know, and it grows them stronger together. So yep. just being open-minded about different beliefs, different opinions. Mm-hmm. All right. I agree. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> See, common ground, right? Let's go. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, this has been the Back of the Gap podcast. Thank you, Caleb, so much for coming on. Yeah, it's thank been you guys a for having great me. episode. We're shaking hands now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we will see you all next Thursday. Thank you so much for listening.